0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: All right, we roll along. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. We are live, as mentioned, at the Seaport District at Pier 17. We're brought to you by Chase. Uh, my buddy Jesse Rogers is going to jump in from Chicago uh, during this hour. He has strong thoughts on this baseball thing. So I'm just going to do one or more quick minute or two on it here, and then I'll save that for him. I, I haven't gotten any of the NBA stuff from the weekend that I want to do when there's a lot of football out there. Shefty with his latest tweet on the very top of the NFL draft. We'll get to that. I have draft prep. So we are really busy um, on this Monday. and delighted that you were along for the ride with the assembled members of the hashtag crew. Bubba with us and the mustachioed Cam. Again, Cam, the mustache is a terrible idea um I don't I don't know much about your life is there a significant other in your world i I don't I don't you know not, you,
2: not at the moment no
1: okay because that's whose opinion on this would matter the fact that you're telling me that Bubba and your mother both like the mustache and several
2: close friends
1: is, is, is once again you are not making the point you think you're making okay are these the same close friends who talked you into watching the Super Bowl in, in Philadelphia is this Evan
2: yes Evan is one of them but other people as well you you surprisingly are in the minority with not liking the mustache and yeah. I can say that con- Confidently.
1: Okay, uh, and 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 yet I am I am the uh, I I am the vocal minority. I am I am very much the on most the, vocal for sure. I'm on the side of right here. Um, the mustache is a bad idea and it needs <laughs> to be completely rethought. But it's not a, as bad an idea as these people who are yelling and screaming about these baseball rules as though the fact that. A, a called strike, whatever you, it's not, <laughs> I'm not even sure what term you use for it. A strike without a pitch thrown to end a spring training game somehow with some terrible affront. Baseball fans, traditionalist baseball fans really don't make any sense. Well, on one hand, I understand where you're coming from. Because as we get older, we don't want things to change. It's harder to adapt to things. It's harder to evolve the older you get. I understand that. I'm getting older myself. But the reality is, failure to evolve, failure to adapt, is to become extinct. And I want to make sure everyone recognizes that that's what baseball is staring down. Baseball is staring down not its mortality. That would be a gross overstatement. But it needs to evolve and adapt with the times. And the biggest impediment to that historically have been the traditionalists who cling to things that haven't mattered in a very long time in our society, as though the fact that they matter to you should determine how these decisions get made. And I'll give you an example that is very near and dear to my heart. Baba. you know that my favorite sport is golf. And what I can tell you is right now, there is one of many trends that is becoming very popular in golf is people listening to music while they play. 20 years ago, at least to my knowledge, that never happened anywhere. But these days, even on at very upscale private golf courses you will, if you are playing golf, you will hear people who are listening to music. You might know people who listen to music. Maybe you're someone who likes to listen to music. I'm talking about out loud, not in AirPods, but I'm talking about having a speaker somewhere on a golf cart or attached to your bag or whatever it is and and are listening to music as the round is being played. I don't like it. Don't like it at all. But I'm not going to be the old fart who says, you know, golf isn't meant to be played with music going on because you know what? A new generation of, of golfers, the sport's going to die away. Before COVID, golf was in big trouble. The, 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 um, the participation numbers on the sport of golf were, to call them dwindling, would be understating the case. Fewer and fewer people were playing golf. Golf courses were closing left and right. Now, COVID happened to have helped the golf uh, industry enormously because it became something you could do. It was an outdoor activity that you don't have to stand right next to each other to do. And so tons and tons more people played golf. And nowadays, golf, I think, is actually thriving. But another reason that or other reasons it's thriving is because of things like Top Golf and all these other ways that people are playing golf that are not what I would consider historically to be golf. This is even the way I feel about Live Golf, which I have zero interest in watching. And judging from their ratings over the weekend, neither did anybody else. But that's neither here nor there. Maybe people will catch on to it. If it brings new fans to the sport, fine, good. I'm good with that. It doesn't have to be something I want. If you're going to listen to music, you're going to go to top golf. you're going to play a four-hole round, you know, they're creating like these golf courses where you play like one and two and 17 and 18 or whatever it is. If that's going to be good for golf, then it's fine with me. And that's the way you have to approach baseball. This is going to be good for the sport. It needs it. And so to complain about it is complaining against or to try and fight it is fighting against something that this sport you love desperately needs. So we'll talk about that more towards the end of the hour as we roll along here. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Nature Valley wants to see you and your family out there. When we share our love for out there, we inspire others to protect it. And that's what getting out there is all about. Nature Valley, life happens out there. Greeny's Takes. All right, let's do my takes here. I got my five top NBA takes I spent all weekend in this building. I was here Friday night until about one in the morning, I was here Saturday night with the Celtics and Sixers. I was here yesterday for a doubleheader. So I have done nothing but watch basketball all weekend long, and I'm going to give you my five biggest takeaways from the NBA as we head down this stretch. Number five. Uh, KD is coming back Wednesday, and they do not have much time. (coughs) It's all easy to say, look, they can put this thing together. They have such spectacular players. I'm a huge fan of Devin Booker. KD is obviously unbelievable. And when he was healthy this year, he was having an MVP season. They have DeAndre Ayton, who is a, a, a rim protector. And they have Chris Paul, who was definitively showing signs of his age, but knows how to get the ball where it needs to be and will be dependent upon so little to, um, to score that I think it will protect him a little bit as well. So the Suns, on paper, should clearly be the team to beat. But can they really put this together in 20 games? That's what it's going to be. They're going to have 20 games to put this thing together and make a championship run? I think that might be too much to ask. I think the West is wide open. The Suns, I think, are going to be at their most vulnerable early. (laughs) We have no idea where anyone is going to end up being seated because everything is so jam-packed except for Denver being at the top. So who they get in the first round, I think, is going to be critically important. Because I think they're going to be at their most vulnerable at the very beginning. I do not think you just pencil in the Suns to the finals. They do not have a lot of time. Number four. Meanwhile, the Lakers are legit dangerous. Legit dangerous. They're two and a half games out of six. So I know they got to climb through, I think, five teams to get there. But if they do or they don't have to deal with the play-in with a healthy LeBron and a healthy Anthony Davis, this roster is so much better than it was a month ago. The pieces they have added are winning them games. D'Angelo Russell, who didn't even play yesterday, and this kid Vanderbilt. These guys that they have added, and Beasley, Malik Beasley, these pieces they've added are helping them win games. They're so much better constructed than they were a month ago. And AD played huge yesterday, and LeBron, I think the Lakers are legit Dangerous, especially if they somehow manage to crawl their way up to six. I think the Lakers are going to be a team to be reckoned with. My five biggest takeaways from the NBA weekend. Number three. I, the Saturday night finish was unbelievable. Celtics and Sixers, I'm sure by now you've seen it. If you didn't see the game, you saw the highlight. Jason Tatum with an unbelievable shot to win the game with a second left. Um, and, and it was 1.3 seconds. If it had been 1.5 seconds, the Sixers would have tied it. Joel Embiid with a 70-foot heave that comes a tenth of a second too late that otherwise would have sent it into overtime. And I think I feel kind of bad for Embiid because I think that just illustrates exactly where he is. He's such a good player, and I, I really like him, and he plays so hard and wants it so badly. And I think his team is just an eyelash not good enough. I, I, the Sixers are really good. Harden's having a good year. Maxi is terrific. They're a really good team. But they're just not as good as the big two. I, I, there's a big three in the East, but I think the big two is bigger. I think Celtics Bucks are definitively better. And, and so I just kind of feel for Embiid because I think he's going to be just short. He's been runner up for MVP back to back years. I think he's going to be that again. And I think his team is going to be a bridesmaid again. They're just not quite good enough. Number two. In fact, I think the best team is Milwaukee. I think the Bucs are the best team in the NBA. They've not been healthy all year long, and they're a half a game behind Boston. If they have a fully healthy and ready-to-go Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and of course Giannis, and they're so deep with Lopez and Allen and all the different pieces they have, Portis will be coming off the bench. I think right now, if you told me I have to pick a team to make it to the NBA Finals from the East, I would take Milwaukee. My order would be Milwaukee, then Boston, then Philly, and then nobody else. I think there are only three teams I could see making it out of the East. And I think it is those three. I'm actually going to wrap it there, lose the music on that, Cam. I'm going I'm to take a brief break because the thing that I have as my number one takeaway is something that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. But I'm going to state something about the NBA and one of its biggest stars ever that I think will take you by surprise, but I have a feeling I can convince you that I'm right. We'll do that, plus I've got draft prep, plus the very latest from Shefty on the top of the draft, and my buddy Jesse coming up with more baseball conversation. We are busy on this Monday. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast.
0: Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to
1: be. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. A reminder that, uh, first off, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Also, that you can help people in areas affected by the Turkey earthquake including Turkey and Syria, please visit redcross.org ESPN to help the Red Cross respond. Uh, really busy Monday here. We, we will have um, some more baseball, some more thoughts on all the baseball stuff, which I've been somewhat heavy on. I'm going to get to some NFL draft prep in a minute coming off of Shefty's tweet. But I wanted to give you my final take. So if you're just joining me here, I gave you my top five or actually four of my top five takes from the weekend, a weekend that I spent watching NBA the entire time. We had games Friday night, Saturday night, and all day Sunday. So I've been here watching basketball all weekend long. And as they go into their stretch run, so do we. And so my top five NBA takes, five, I told you, I think that KD, 20 games in Phoenix. I I think that is a very, very quick sprint. I'd be concerned about their being ready for the playoffs. I think just penciling them in as talented as they are is a mistake. Four, I told you the Lakers are legit dangerous. Three, I feel bad for Embiid because I think it's going to be close but no cigar. Two, I think Milwaukee is the best team in the NBA by an eyelash ahead of Boston. And then I save the best for last. Here's number one. I was giving this some thought. Bubba, let me ask you your opinion. If you are looking at the landscape of the NBA right this minute, and I told you you can have any one player on your team to win one game right now, one game, which is different from who is the best player in the NBA. I believe the best player in the NBA is Giannis. But one could make an argument right now for Luka and one could make an argument for Durant And one could make an argument for Jokic. And one could make an argument for Joel Embiid. And one could make an argument for Jason Tatum. There are a lot of great John Morant. There are a lot of great young stars that will lead their teams into the playoffs. But if I told you, you just need to win one game and your life depends on the outcome, is it possible that the player you would take to win that game is still LeBron James? Like, I feel like we've somewhat forgotten LeBron. You know nowadays everybody wants to talk like they got something to say but nothing comes out when they move their lips just a bunch of gibberish and everybody acts like they forgot about LeBron because his team has been down. Here's the truth at the age of 38 LeBron is still playing at an all NBA level. He was I voted him a starter for the all-star game and he richly deserved that and I think that there is a real chance that he will wind up, he will make one of the All-NBA teams, maybe even the first team All-NBA. No one has more experience, obviously. No one has more championships, obviously. LeBron and Steph are sort of the grand old men of this game. Steph carried his team there a year ago. Who's to say LeBron can't still do it? Bubba, if I gave you one player to win one game that, that for your, and your life hung in the balance... Who would you take? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to go with LeBron right now. I think I might.
0: I think that might be my pick because um, I think this year, every time you you, you kind of want to keep counting him out, he comes back with uh, you know a, a thirty-five point night, a forty-point night, or anytime you think he might be slowing down, it's ridiculous what they're doing. And so, I think LeBron makes sense. I think it's insane to say uh, he's my age. I think, and it's ridiculous what he's doing uh at his age but i i i don't think it's that that crazy at all how old are you 38 okay yes he is your age what day is your birthday june
1: 20th all right so you're you're older than he is yeah, but only by December, six months right? his birthday yeah. is at christmas time yeah um so look i think that's a, it's a reasonable question to ask the mere fact that we can reasonably ask the question demonstrates just how remarkable he is you know on some level i suppose we have to get used to the fact that athletes are playing longer because of increases or improvements in training and nutrition. In the NBA, there is the load management piece of this, which you know that I hate, but it is a thing. Now, LeBron has traditionally not load managed very much, but he is a guy who spends, from what I'm told, like upwards of a million dollars a year on his body. So maybe 38 is the new 35. Maybe he's still got a year or two left to be at the very top. I would not put it past him. If Anthony Davis stays healthy... To do something special in this year's postseason, and I mean it. All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. So,
3: you ready for the draft? Let's get started.
1: Greeny's draft prep. All right, draft prep uh, begins with a tweet from Adam Schefter this morning in which he tweeted, That multiple teams have reached out to the Chicago Bears, and according to sources, the Bears are leaning towards trading the number one pick in the draft. I do not, I have felt all along that that was the right thing to do. I have, I would not be at all surprised, however, if the Bears, if there was a more appealing first choice amongst the quarterbacks in this draft, that the Bears would seriously have considered trading fields. There are two advantages to trading Justin Fields. The overwhelming one, of course, is that you restart the rookie clock for the quarterback, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do. The other is that the current regime running the Chicago Bears did not select Justin Fields. So there's, there's always something about it not being your guy. It doesn't have to matter, but frequently it has. And so those were the two reasons that I think if – I'm not going to say Trevor Lawrence. If Justin Fields was in this draft, the Bears would trade Justin Fields and take him. Does that make sense? Bubba, do you understand what I mean when I say that? If the prospect that Justin Fields once was was in this draft, I think the Bears would trade Justin Fields and take him. Right. The reason that I think they won't is that I would have serious concerns – about all four quarterbacks who are going at the top of this draft. C.J. Stroud, I'm just going to run through quickly what they are. C.J. Stroud just hasn't been consistent enough. Will Levis, the tape just does not match up with the measurables. Bryce Young, the measurables don't match up with the tape. And Anthony Richardson is just a raw product. It's like a lump of clay that you're going to have to start molding the second he gets there. He's played like three really good games on the college level, and people have decided he's going to be a top 10 pick. So any or all of them might wind up being great. Don't get me wrong. But there are major concerns. I would have major concerns about all three of them, all four of them, if you want to include Richardson. And as a consequence of that, that would make me all the more hesitant to trade away Justin Fields. Now, I happen to think Fields has a chance to become a superstar. And I think that trading down a couple of spots and taking Will Anderson is the best thing the Bears can do. The Bears could go down to two. They could go down a little further than that, all the way to four. I think they're safe going to four and still getting one of the two elite defenders. There are two elite defenders in this draft, Jalen Carter, the interior lineman from Georgia, and Will Anderson Jr., who was the edge rusher from Alabama. He's the guy I would take. All other things being equal, I think he's the single best player in this draft. And I think you get him at four and add other things by trading down from one. I think that is a steal. So if Indianapolis wants to come up from four, if Houston wants to come up from two, if I'm the Bears, that's what I do. So that's my overriding draft prep. One other quick thought on draft prep. There was a receiver I love. I'm starting to do all my players here and I will give you little takes on people. The receiver class is deep and excellent. There were a ton of good receivers who are going to go all through the draft. And the first two days will be littered with wide receivers. The one I like the best and not everyone has him going first among the receivers is Quentin Johnston, who is the kid from TCU. They, they, of course, made it all the way to the national championship game this past year. So you saw him on that magic carpet ride. Um, Todd McShay, Bubba calls him a pterodactyl. In the best possible way, one can mean that. The, the the physical stuff is off the chart. The measurables off the charts. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save some time for some other things I want to do. So I'll dive a little more into him at some point later. But that's just a name I want you to remember. If it's one you don't already know. Pterodactyl, got of, it. Of all the receivers, Quentin Johnston from TCU is the one that I like the most by far. As we continue, everyone got the biggest story of the weekend wrong. We will explain why. Back in a flash on ESPN Radio.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
2: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative legal and administrative and customer support at robert half we know talent visit roberthalf.com today
1: earlier today on greenie who is aaron rogers he's so good that you're willing to put up with almost anything you
2: know what he is that guy that you're like he is so fine and every time he calls, you're like I shouldn't answer. Everything is good, the looks, everything. It's so perfect, but the commitment isn't there. He's not all the way in, but yet he calls, and you're like, you know, he sends the midnight, one a.m. you up, big head, text, and you're like. But
1: that's, and that's the time. one area where I don't have that problem. I'm never <laughs> up at one a.m. <laughs> this is Greeny. That's true. You send me a text at one a.m. You're gonna have to wait several hours for me to respond. You're not gonna see like the little bubbles or whatever the little dots start to show up immediately 1 a.m. is a time of day with which I am extraordinarily unfamiliar these days I am however very familiar with our next guest my old buddy Jesse Rogers going to jump in here in a second but first Bubba I wanted to do this because I, I thought this was really funny Charles Barkley was just on first take with Stephen A and uh, you know a lot of publicity and all that kind of stuff which is great Stephen and, and Charles going one-on-one for a half hour. But Bubba reminded me of a hilarious little back and forth that I had with Charles on this show, which still doesn't make sense to me. So we'll play it for you here again. This is not doctored. This is is exactly the way this exchange went. Go ahead and hit it. Charles, can you hear me now?
0: I cannot.
1: (laughs) Bubba. I still, to this day, do not understand that conversation. Right? How is if I say to you, "Can you hear me?" and you say, "I cannot." Yeah. Someone explain what that means. So I mean, it's one of the best back and forths of all time. So this was
0: way back in the beginning of our show, and when we were doing FaceTime. Yeah. So Barkley was doing a FaceTime. We were setting him up, and our TV crew was talking to him separately. Ah. So they were the ones talking to him. We had his audio up. You just happened to ask that question the same time they asked him, like, can you hear Greenie?" So they, he was responding to them saying, I cannot, but it sounds like he was responding to you. Charles, can you hear me now? I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's That's the best. so priceless. It's not, I mean, the timing
1: is unbelievable. Uh, it really is. So if that just happened by a fluke, it's one of the great flukes in the history of mankind all right there are a million issues to get to here and one of my oldest friends in the business we started out together as pups when we were in our early 20s back in the day and now has turned into one of espn's premier baseball reporters and so much else in chicago our buddy jesse rogers is with us on espn radio what's up jesse 1 a.m was so
3: late for us back in the day it is now isn't it Greeny?
1: It, I mean, that's exactly right. 1 a.m. is a time back in those days at Eddie Deppin's that, you know, back up all the way up there on Belmont in the northwest part of the city of Chicago. Um, we might have sat there till one o'clock in the morning, but that's a long time. Quickly, before we get into the baseball, yeah. Jesse sent me a text yesterday. He covers baseball for us. He's been at 10 different spring training camps um, so far. So he's got a lot of thoughts on on this issue with the with the pitch clock and everything else that I talked about earlier. But quickly. Because you are there, you are a a homegrown lover of the Chicago Bears. Um, What is your take? I'm just curious because Shefty tweeted this morning that the Bears now seem to be leaning towards trading the pick and and going with Justin Fields. Obviously, that's a huge thing that impacts the entire league. If it was up to you right now as a fan of the Bears, what do you want them to do?
3: Oh, absolutely that. Trade down at least once, maybe twice. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where – You already have a quarterback, and so now you can really stockpile in other areas something they have to do. A year ago when Poles was hired, I actually was covering the Bears a little bit, you know, after our friend J.D. passed away. And one of the things he said was, we don't have explosive players. And a year later, they really have not fixed that problem. Here's your one chance to do it. I don't know why you would start over and trade fields and start over with a new quarterback. That makes no sense to me. Fields has the tools. You still have to bring them out of him, but you have a chance to really stockpile your team with talent. And it's not going to happen again, Greeny, where you already have the quarterback and you get the number one pick. It just doesn't happen in the NFL. So here's a chance to really change the direction of your team.
1: Yeah, the last time the number one overall pick was traded before the draft was the pick that turned into Jared Goff. It's actually only happened twice in the 2000s. The other one was the pick that turned into Michael Vick. So I agree with you very quickly because I don't get to hear it all the time anymore. Chicago was my home for so long, but I don't get to – is that the opinion you just gave? Would would you say that represents the majority of the fans and the guys on the station on ESPN 1000? Is that what pretty much everyone thinks?
3: Yes, and of course, along with that, you have to remember the minority is going to be more vocal sometimes. There is a minority of fans that don't believe in fields – don't believe he's the passer that you need to be in the NFL. And I would say he's probably not today, but he's probably proven enough to say that he can get there. Now, maybe there's a a Stroud or someone else is already there. I don't know. I I doubt it. I don't think so. I don't think there's a Peyton Manning necessarily in the draft. I don't follow it as as well as you do. But um, that's the vocal minority that says, wait a minute, he's not the passer. Yes, he's the runner, but you have to pass in the NFL. But I, I still think the majority believe that. He is the guy, and we could stockpile somewhere else.
1: All right, I'm with you completely. And by the way, and I was talking about a little earlier here, um, the top three quarterbacks in this draft all have question marks. If Justin Fields, Mm -hmm. as a prospect, was in this draft, he'd be the first pick. (laughs) Maybe that tells you everything you need to know. Okay, let's get to the real business here. So Jesse has turned into one of ESPN's top baseball reporters. And over the weekend, Twitter went crazy, After a spring training game ended on a called strike in which a pitch was not even thrown, Most fans are aware that they have now instituted the pitch clock that we saw in AAA last year, and the batter wasn't – in this case, it wasn't the pitcher, but it was the batter who wasn't ready in time. It was called an automatic strike before a pitch was even thrown. That um, was the third strike and the third out of the last inning, and so the game ends on that, and people lose their minds. In your opinion, is this whole thing good or bad for the sport?
3: No, I think it's good. In fact, I think it's really good. And I think it's really good it happened in the fir- on the first weekend of spring games, Greeny. First of all, if you if you take the total of spring games, average game time already is down 23 minutes from the first weekend of spring games compared to all of spring training last year. So, shaving time off of games because of the clock is already working. And remember, Greeny, they're not playing with two outs, right? They're not saying um, you know, cutting off an inning after scoring five runs. They're, they're cutting off dead time. They're cutting off the time that is just dead, you know, between pitches. Even between innings, I watched closely, uh, you have two minutes and 15 seconds. Teams are going out there right away and, and, and starting their, their routine in the field when, when they're done hitting. So they're cutting out the dead time. It's already 23 minutes down. But in terms of the end of that game, I think we just have to change our mindset baseball's not this sacred cow anymore it it has to evolve and the irony of it is Greeny, it's evolving in a way that is actually sending it back to the 70s 80s and 90s when there was more action more stolen base attempts more athleticism more contact and games were a little bit quicker and the pitch clock is going to do that now i agree if we have a violation like that in game seven of the world series everyone's going to go nuts but you know what mike the Super Bowl basically ended on a holding call, which is a violation. That's mm-hmm. the baseball version of a violation. Yeah. I think we just have to get used to, used to new rules, new violations. And, yes, it could happen in a very dramatic moment. But the fact that it happens so soon does two things. It alerts everybody to, hey, look, umpires are not going to put away the whistle, so to speak, just because it's a big moment. So we have plenty of time to get used to this, including 162 regular season games on top of the 30-plus spring games. And the other thing is, Mike, I probably would not be on with you today if this didn't happen. This creates debate in baseball, something the other sports have a ton of. I watch your show every morning. I see debate every day on the NFL and NBA. So as an ancillary effect to increase debate about baseball, there's nothing wrong with it because it really, to me, doesn't take away the
1: enjoyment of it. Jesse Rogers with me, and here's what I will say. It is as though I sent you my notes. Because literally everything <laughs> you just said is what I've written down. I think you're a hundred percent right on literally everything that you said. And in fact, you took it even further because I hadn't thought of the Super Bowl ending on a call. But here's what could happen the Super Bowl could end on a delay of game call. It absolutely could. In fact, the clock ran out on the Cowboys and their season a year ago, a little different circumstance, but it happens. The difference in baseball is historically there's never been a clock, and some people will say that that's the beauty of the game, that there's never been a clock, but those people need to evolve with the time. I did the math. So you just said 23 minutes is what they are right now looking like they're shaving off of the spring training games. That's basically consistent, with the amount of time that was shaved off of AAA games last year. If you just round that to an easy, even number and say 20 minutes, if they save you 20 minutes of absolute nothingness, you're talking about watching a guy adjust his batting glove and scratch himself. That's literally all (laughs) you are losing. If, If it's 20 minutes a game times 162 over the course of a season, that's 54 hours. That's two and a half days of your life they are giving you back that you could spend doing nothing or you could spend doing something else, literally anything else, because of these changes. Everyone should rejoice in them. And the fact that people are getting upset about them, Jesse, just is to me demonstrates that some people just want to be upset about anything.
3: Yeah, I've heard from people that attend a lot of games, and those are the ones that are okay. I think if you go to one or two games a year, you probably don't care how long it is. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to too many season ticket holders that like the four-hour game. So it it, it all depends, but it does, Mike, just take yourself and your son and go to a game. A a, a three-hour game feels like enough. Like that, that should be the max. And yeah, and and over the weekend, the longest game, the longest one, it had 24 runs scored was 306. That should be about the max for a really long game. I think the big thing is Mike, it's the, it's the low-scoring games that make the big difference. It's the four-hour, literally four-hour, three-to-two game that you want to pull your hair out, right? A three-to-two game back in the day was two-and-a-half at most. Yeah. That's what it should be, 215, 220. And then most of the time it'll be maybe 240, something like that. Just the rhythm of being at a game or watching on TV, 240, 230, 245, that all makes sense to me. Once in a while it goes three-plus because it's 10-to-9, it's and you're okay with that. Because that means there's a lot of action.
1: Yes, if that's the exception, but rather than the rule, then that's obviously a different thing. Jesse Rogers with us from Chicago here with the latest on these baseball changes. You and I have a mutual friend um, and and certainly all the fans in Chicago know who I'm talking about, and that's Mike Murphy. And there's never been anyone, a longtime Chicago talk show host and and maybe the most passionate fan of the Cubs I've ever known, um, but also just a baseball guy through and through, um, and, and so I'm just wondering like because I haven't talked to him and I don't get a chance to hear the station in Chicago like where who what are the where is he in all of this and if, if he is not uh, against this, who is like are there people who are voicing an opinion that this is bad for baseball?
3: it's so, so funny you bring that up because he has texted me throughout this whole period, and you know he's an older guy uh, and he has gone to this kicking and screaming now he did most of this texting before anything started up right Right. he's not never seen this so i i have to check back with them but those are the type of people maybe a little bit older than us that are going to this kicking and screaming a little bit because they do think the commissioner in the league is messing with the game a little too much you know the funny thing is green if you think about the the changes the pitch clock the elimination the shift in the bigger bases i mean two of those changes really don't impact the game in, in such a big way. It's the bases that might impact it more, and no one's really talking about that. I mean, the pitch clock doesn't impact the competitive nature of the game, and really the elimination of the shift doesn't in, in a, in a you know, sort of granular way. But the bases could because stolen base attempts and, and success might increase in, in tenfold. Who knows? They, they think that's going to increase a lot. That's what uh, pitchers in, uh, are really worried about. But nobody really talks about that part of it. How does the pitch clock impact competitiveness? In fact, if you want to go a step further, the spring games that I mentioned over the weekend, basically there was like one run more scored per game. Um, It was like 11 runs or 12 runs uh, over the weekend compared to 10.6 last year. So my point is the clock isn't impacting offense that much, better or worse. Last year in the minors for a full season uh, compared to the year before without the clock, Mike, it didn't impact it at all. Offense was exactly the same. So I I, I wonder what Mike feels, you know, now he's seen a weekend or as, as people like him watch more, if maybe they will change their mind. Because I get it. The older the fan, the more you want to get back to the way it was. And the funny thing is they are sort of going to get back to the way it was in a manufactured way. Yes. Right. But it's going to look like a lot when we were younger and when people that you know were in their 60s were younger and really saw the best version of the game.
1: I think that's right. Uh, Jesse, I'm out of time. Good to catch up, my man. Thank you. We'll talk again soon.
3: You got it, Greeny. Be well. It's Jesse
1: Rogers from Chicago. You know, here's what they, what they could have done, Bubba. Here's what they he, – here's my bet. I don't know how they would have done this. They probably couldn't. But here's what they should have done. And if they could have, they, this would be a fascinating experiment. If they had implemented the pitch clock rule but not told anyone, If they had just played the season with the rule in place, but everyone followed by, abided by the rule, which is to say that the pitchers were always ready, the batters were always ready, and the game just moved along at this faster pace, but no one knew it was happening because of a clock, all the fans who were complaining about it would say, boy, this was a terrific season. The game has never been better. The game is more exciting, faster paced, more interesting than it's ever been. The only reason they don't like the pitch clock is because they see it, they're aware of it, and as a consequence, they need to complain. But if you didn't know it was there, and there was not a single call made because of it all season long, all the fans who are against it would think it was an absolutely great baseball year. So I commend the commissioner and everybody over there, Theo, for getting that thing right. I thank you very much for hanging out with us as we always do here, and we'll see you back in better than ever, same time, same place tomorrow.